Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. It's time for helping behaviorally challenging students, and, um, well, that is precisely what we try to do on this program. Uh, And today, being the first Monday of the month, is the Educators Panel Day, where I am joined by three principals, two from Maine and one from British Columbia, who uh, we get together and we talk about um, what they're doing in their buildings and what things they're struggling with to help the behaviorally challenging students in their midst. Um, If you want to call in, that's okay on the panel programs. We have two calls for the parents panel today and uh, one uh, well, two calls for the parents panel today. I'm I'm fresh off the issues in children's mental health program, and um, I, I'm, I don't uh, know that we need to mix programs here. But um, if you want to hear, if you want to know anything about homeless kids and how they got to be homeless and what they've been through and what they need from us, you, you got to listen to the issues in children's mental health program from today, uh, March 4th, 2013. It'll be archived in a listening library on the Lives in the Balance website uh, by later this evening. But um, boy, did I just learn a lot. And of course, I always learn a lot from our educators panel as well. I know we have Carol on with us. How are you today? I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. And I don't know by area code if we have Tom or Nina. Hello, it's me. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hi, Rob. Good. How are you? I am well. Uh, we always start, and I guess Nina will be joining us shortly. I haven't heard from her that she's not. We always start the day with um, anything you all want to talk about. Do either of you have anything on your mind today that you want to kick off the program with, something that you want to make sure we talk about today? Carol? I don't. I don't have anything uh, pressing on my mind today. I think I kind of dominated last week, last month. So uh, somebody else can take a turn. <laughs> well, I don't remember you dominating, but if you dominated last time, then I have to take full responsibility for having talked too much the time before that. So I guess <laughs> Tom, today, today's your turn to talk too much, Tom. Uh, I don't know if I'd give myself that license. <laughs> that was a joke. Yes. Nothing really um, pressing. I I just think that we continue to work on the balancing component that we always seem to, I guess as a building principal, it's just always on my mind, how do you balance support with uh, expectations? 
and and I just keep kind of working on that angle uh, personally when I'm dealing with children who are struggling with behavioral problems and also as an organization as we move forward with continuing the work of trying to help kids, you know, uh, as they come through the door. Well, say more about that balance that you're talking about. Well, I think it's always hard to figure out sometimes if the, the as we've discussed in other programs, what what is, um, sometimes for especially younger learners, what is it that you just need to teach them clear and consistent expectations and routines and behavioral expectations versus they can't meet those expectations and therefore need help solving problems. So it's kind of like you talk about the X, you know, one one half of the X is the expectations and the other half of the X is their inability to meet the expectations. I think I've just been working a lot on the word inability and what that means and, and how to figure that out. And I, I always go back to finding out their concerns and perspective because that helps you to have information about, you know, the quote inability. Well, I guess that's the interesting thing is the order of events, I think, is adults have an expectation. Kid either does or doesn't meet that expectation. If kid does meet the expectation, no worries. Apparently, the expectation was pitched appropriately, and meaning pitched meaning the kid can meet the expectation. That's why he did. If kid isn't meeting expectation, adults need to figure out why. So to me, that's sort of the logical sequence of events that helps us maintain the balance. Um, what's fascinating is a lot of people perceive this model as being uh, devoid of expectations, which of course is not true. But how does what I just said uh, interface with the balance issue? And well, by I the think way, that... Nina, Nina has now joined us. Hi, Nina. Hello. Go ahead, Tom. Um, I think that the 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 part that's hard is figuring out how to get an accurate read. Now, I don't even want to say that because I don't think it's really possible. I think it's really simpler than that. Um, for example, you have classroom expectations or classroom, the, 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 let's just say theoretically that the classroom develops a classroom constitution or agreement. This could happen at the high school level, the middle school level, the elementary level. And then student X has a really difficult, or more healthily, student who is learning how to handle themselves emotionally has difficulty meeting those classroom uh, agreements or expectations. And then sometimes I catch glimpses that 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 kids, when they're handled, like sometimes it's the way that the teacher or the staff interacts with the child versus what the child can actually do. So I've had instances where I've moved a child from one classroom and they were having major behavioral concerns to another classroom and they do way better. That to me isn't that the child had a lagging skill or an unsolved problem, it's that the environment they they couldn't they couldn't function in the environment maybe that's the lagging skill but but i'm just simply saying that that for especially for younger learners but i've seen it with middle school and high school kids too if the teacher and the student match is good and i typically define good as they were very clear but 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 um gently implemented expectations uh in other words you've done something wrong i still like you we'll work on this together if that happens, a lot of times kids who are struggling do pretty well in there. So it, it, it's kind of a point worth discussing for those of us that are in administration or guidance 
think about placement and expectations mm. versus students actually not being able to adapt to the circumstances. Well, and unsolved problems, of course, are not owned by the kid. Unsolved problems are the combination of kids' skills or lack of them and demands of the environment. And so um, you're, you're absolutely so, so an unsolved problem is not owned by the kid. It's owned by the adult, the, the kid and the adult who the kid is having difficulty with. So that's sort of interesting that way. Um, but, um, yeah, it would make perfect sense that if you alter the demands, either teacher personality or the, the way the teacher is going about doing things or even the fact that the demands in one classroom are different than another, um, I could see a situation, that I'm sure you come across this frequently, Carol and Nina too, that um, things are better in one environment than another. Um, but I still think that you have the interface of kid skills, demands of the environment, and if there's incompatibility between those two, you have an unsolved problem. Yeah, no, I would agree, Ross. I think I've just had a situation like that where um, we made a change in a student placement, and it wasn't necessarily a student-to-teacher um, personality conflict, but um, a, an inter, a student interpersonal conflict with with some other students. And um, the teacher was doing everything right. She was, uh, you know, giving time. We were getting support for the kids. We tried to do some skill building in terms of. Um, you know, negotiation and learning how to speak in a more respectful way to one another and understanding the other person's point of view. Um, but it got to a point where um, it was, there was just this conflict between the two kids was so entrenched that the problems that were arising were escalating faster than our ability to address the skills. Mm -hmm. So we decided, in the interest of the kids' learning, because these children in the class, if they were in the same space at the same time, there was no learning going on. It was just they were, the word I used was consumed. They were just consumed by worrying about what the other person was doing. So the demands, even though the expectations for behavior are identical within the classes and both the teachers are, you know, supportive, it was just the demands of being in the room with, you know, the skill being the ability to respond rationally to that other student just wasn't making it work. So we're going to continue to work on those skills because, like you said, they are they are jointly owned by the students. They are in the same school, and they may actually see each other at some point. You know, and so we have to keep working on that. But for the sake of um, the kids being able to learn, we we had to make that that change. So sometimes with placement, you just you you can't even predict. You don't know what skills are lacking until they suddenly show up as a problem. Nina, we always start this program by asking if you all have anything you want to bring up. Um, believe it or not, we have an um, email question that is specifically for the educators panel from someone in Sweden. But, oh, Nina, wow. did you have anything that you wanted to um, talk about today to start off? Uh, nothing specifically. I think it's interesting what you know Tom was bringing up for sure because I, you know, I see that here too where one – one child will have the um, challenging behavior can be in one setting and not another, and I just think it gives us a lot of information um, about what works. So kind of trying to transfer that in, um, that placement issue, this is so huge to um, place children where 
where they're going to be the most successful. So I think that's an inter- interesting as we kind of get in the season of placement and thinking about next year. But I'd love to talk about the email. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, let's go to the email next. I, I remember a teacher who I was working with a very long time ago who had a reputation in the building for being really effective with kids who other teachers were having a great deal of difficulty being effective with. And um, the problem was that she got so loaded up with behaviorally challenging kids that she told me that whenever she saw the principal walking toward the hall toward her, walking down the hall toward her, she would literally run in the opposite direction because she <laughs> feared that another behaviorally challenging kid was about <laughs> to be placed in her room. Yeah, there's a problem with being too good. Here's the email. Are you ready? Well, sure. Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say that that's a classic situation where we punish the teachers who are really good in a particular area. And sometimes mm-hmm. teachers are really good in math or really good with writing. And if a student struggles with writing or math, they end up with all the students who struggle. Who, I mean, they end up with the teacher who does those things well. It's the same thing with behaviorally challenging children. And I think that that's part of why I feel that having access to this work is so beneficial to the school. Even if even if teachers aren't fully um, doing every aspect of collaborative problem solving and all of its all of its you know uh, parts that can happen, if they understand the model and are willing to work in the model and, and get the, the the general idea, and then the guidance counselor, the principal, and the social worker are all actively, really deeply using the model, it can make a huge difference for behaviorally challenging children. And it can kind of balance out the staff. For right. sure. It's not just one, one teacher. Yep. Okay, here's the email. You ready? Hello, Dr. Green. I am a Swedish school psychologist, and I have two questions, one for the educators panel and one for you. I think I'll save the one for me for next week. Uh, I'll start with the question for the educators panel. I found the educators panel on February 4th really, really interesting. I actually even listened to it twice to get as much out of it as possible. But I find myself still wondering about something, even now a couple weeks after the program, so I'm writing now to ask for some clarification so I can be sure I really got the message. I'd like to frame my question like this. Early on in the program, Carol said something about a kid who had reportedly told his teacher that the next time someone bugs me, I'm just going to hit them because I know nothing's going to happen to me, or something along those lines. Now, I'd like to know, and this is not aimed exclusively at Carol per se, but rather to all of you, after your discussions in the last program, how would you respond to this kid? That's the question I'd love to hear the panel members' thoughts on. However, in order to clarify as much as possible what I feel is at stake here, I'd like to offer some further thoughts on some of the concerns that I feel such an answer would need to address. First of all, I feel the kid needs a clear answer that can persuade him that solving problems collaboratively isn't just about talk like in I hit someone and then the teachers call me to talk about it and then I can go and do it again and then it goes on like that forever. I keep hitting and the teachers will keep talking. And I also feel that it won't do to just say that in conversations in which the problem is being solved collaboratively and to define the problem step, we say to the kid that this behavior is not acceptable because if you just say over and over again that the behavior is unacceptable, while at the same time allowing it to happen over and over again, aren't you actually showing that you are, in fact, accepting the behavior? In other words, how do you handle behaviors like hitting or bullying that actually need to be stopped in order to protect and stand up for the kids being on the receiving end of the hitting slash 
bullying. So once again, my question to the panel members is, what would you say to the kid? Now, I, that's the end of the question. I personally do not remember. Carol, do you remember the issue that you had raised? I vaguely remember our discussion, but I don't remember what the kid was doing. Do you remember, Carol? We may have lost Carol. Mm. Well, let's let's turn it to Tom and Nina. What would you say to the kid? That's what our email question wants to know. So, so the child said, I might as well hit again because nothing's going to happen. Is that what they said? Well, I don't think that's what the kid said. And, and I think that uh, here's what the the emailer is quoting. The next time someone bugs me, I'm just going to hit them because I know nothing's going to happen to me. The emailer wants to know, what do you say to that? Well, I think I'd, lo- I'd want much more information about what the child means by that because I think that could mean a lot of things. And I've had that experience with adults saying things like that to me. Um, and it kind of, when you really dig and try to find out what they're talking about, it, it goes in a completely different direction than what you might expect. So I would definitely want more information to you know, have a plan B conversation about what that means. Mm-hmm. So you would drill for information? Yes. I mean, when I talked to a, you know, a parent that said something similar, what really got down to is that they were worried about their child, their child that was you know, that doesn't have challenging behavior, not get you know not fitting in socially in a different way that wasn't related, but that's where it, you know, that's where it was kind of coming surfacely. So, I think um, digging for more information would be the right path. So you wouldn't take the next time someone bugs me, I'm just going to hit them because I know nothing's going to happen to me at face value. No, and I think I I could see how you could easily because for me. Um, I'd be sensitive to that, so I think I, I'd have to really you know, stop and realize that I needed to look more because, um, you know, I think as Tom might have been saying earlier, sometimes people think that when you're trying to work on problems collaboratively, you're not, you don't have expectations, and that's just nothing further than the truth. So I'd have to... Did we just lose Nina? I think so. <laughs> They're dropping like flies on the program today. Wow. Tom, I bet you she'll call back. For... <laughs> Let me actually look at the board and see. Oh, wait. Here we go. Carol somehow got muted. Nina somehow got dropped. Carol, you're with us now, yes? I am back. Sorry. You, you've probably been screaming at the telephone. I, I just uh, emailed me, you saying, I'm in the queue. Back on. Let me back in. Yeah. I okay. can respond to that a little bit now if that helps. Um, okay, the student go ahead. who made that comment was actually a student in another class. So two kids in a grade six class had gotten in a fight. And, um, you know, I had met with the students. We had done some uh, a plan B conversation. It was the, you know, first time that there had ever been an incident like that with those kids, understood it. They were feeling safe. And so by the end of the day, they were both back in their classes. And... Uh, 
apparently a student in a different class who kind of knew what had happened made that comment to his teacher at the end of the day. Well, that, you know, well, the next time then somebody gets in my face, then I'm going to hit them because nothing will happen to them. So that Mm. child wasn't part of the Plan B conversation. He wasn't there during the mediation and the problem, you know, coming up with a solution to the problem. So, but what that raised was um, the teachers questioning what does happen to these kids and what, um, you know, what message are we sending to other kids when there isn't a quote-unquote consequence. So other teachers and other students are seeing, okay, I know two kids got in a fight and now they're back in the class, nothing happened. So I addressed that perception with my staff. That's what we talked about last time. We were working together on kind of clarifying when does collaborative problem solving happen in the process. It's not, it shouldn't be an a emergency B. And that's what we talked about. I, I realized that I had been doing emergency B more than proactive B. And so uh, that's why it wasn't, there wasn't that satisfaction of things were actually getting resolved and moving forward because it wasn't being as effective. So it's not quite what the, 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 the email writer, it wasn't one of the students involved in the fight. It was kind of an observer. Okay. So this is interesting. And by the way, we have Nina back now. So Yeah, I don't know what happened. Sorry. We, we, we don't either. We, we, we lost you and Carol, um, and it was down to me and Tom, which is not a good scene. But <laughs> but we we didn't realize we had Carol back until I looked at the board that I have on my computer, and then we got you back too. So we have our full complement of expertise back again. Carol, what did you say to your staff about that issue because you know if i was to be technical about terms here consequence by definition is an event that occurs after the fact that's the definition of a consequence so bottom line is you can solve a problem collaboratively after the fact and at a technical level still call it a consequence so i think what your teachers are really asking about is um, what's the punishment for that yeah Absolutely. Cause they're, and, they're, and how do you help kids know that what they did was not okay if you don't punish them? That to me, yeah. that's an, that to me, that's that's an entire program. But keep going. What'd you say? I know. Well, th- this goes back to what Tom was saying at the beginning about balance, because of, there's a balance between um, the work that you know that you're doing and and the perception. So it's really important to clarify um, what you mean by by consequence and what you're doing when you are meeting with with students. So. Um, one of the things that I did with the staff is we, um, I, I explained, you know, that the goal is that I use your line a lot. We're in the education system, not the justice system. So our job is not to punish and rehabilitate, it's to teach. So we spent some time talking about when does that teaching happen, what does that teaching look like, um, and if we were to assign a punishment, what teaching would be happening? Like, honestly, what, what teaching would be happening? And by describing it that way, and we really clarified, we, um, we did some work together and we came up with some common expectations, common understanding of whose role is it to intervene at certain levels of, of types of problems, um, kind of letting each, and I own some of the things myself, like I own the fact that, you know, I may have been trying to do some problem solving when... Um, when things weren't at the right time. So we're, we've been looking at when should that happen and how can I be a part of it to support teachers. But I think I was owning too much of it. So there was a lot of a lot of soul-bearing between the staff and myself over um, 
kind of figuring out what wasn't working and trying to make it right. Interesting. Sorry. I was going to say, we had a really big staff meeting that kind of led in this discussion as well a few weeks ago that was really interesting. Um, you know, just to hear everyone's perceptions and realize that everyone, we're all really on the same page and it's part of what happens is we realize we're almost you know, went through a grieving period of of how education has changed, and that that we're we are working more on problem solving and social skills and different things. But it's it's not because of we're not creating the problems that children are coming with. We're feeling like there's more lagging skills, and there, there's you know more work that we have to do. So it was just a really good conversation instead of you know, thinking of it backwards as we're causing more challenging behavior that really kids are changing and we need to catch up and we're doing the right things. And also that um, a few staff members said that they feel like we don't say enough to the kids that aren't exhibiting challenging behavior. We're not saying enough like that behavior that they're doing isn't okay. You're right. And just kind of just not a big conversation but a quick a reminder that we're not accepting of the behavior, um, that that's they felt like that wasn't vocalized enough. Um, so that was an interesting perspective, too, that although we all know we don't, of course, it's not acceptable, and of course we don't want children to be um, exhibiting this behavior, that we don't actually say it out loud. So, so it was just a good conversation to hear those different perspectives. Tom, want to weigh in? Yeah, I, th I think this is really at the core of the beginning phase of implementation of collaborative problem solving, which is where staff's have to have the difficult conversation um, and have it honestly, which is really hard to cultivate in the school culture. Uh, have the conversation honestly that, you know, I remember Ross, you saying to me once, well, what do you say to the people who say, I'm not doing the CPS stuff, I'm not a social worker, I'm a mm -hmm. teacher. And my response is, you're an educator, and we're educating the whole student, not just the subject matter. And the whole student needs to learn how to solve problems with adults as part of their educational practice or they'll never survive in the society that they'll face in 20 years. We all know that, that the ability to work with one another combined with the ability to synthesize the information and learn independently is critical. I mean, it'll take five Einsteins to solve the problems that one Einstein solved because of the interface with technology and computers. So, so I think that, that as we move forward with this, that this is kind of a long, as usual for me, sorry, um, but it's a, it's a really important point that, that um, we, you know, we do have to figure out, I, I have struggled with this issue greatly, and there have been times where even now as a principal I've said, you know what, I totally think that you knew what you were doing, you're going to spend recess with me tomorrow, and sometimes I don't always talk with them to be totally honest, but 95% of the time it, it it's the kids that that doesn't work with that I see back again and again and again that I definitely go totally on the route of talking to them about the problems because sometimes the kids just need to know the adults are in charge and in control and it stops it. But I think more about this, this the message that we're giving them is you're safe, you're in control, we know you can do it. It's very gentle is what I'm trying to say. So whenever I give a student a more direct discipline, I guess for lack of a better term, um, Plan A, it, what I say to them is, you know, I know you can do this and it's going to be fine. And we're, when you come back tomorrow, we're totally okay. I don't think anything different of you. I, I like you. It's going to be all right. And 90% nine, of the time they do. It's the 10% that doesn't that I tend to go deeper with. And I think that's what I've done is struck a balance with my staff saying, you know, you've got to try 
to keep order and focus, but you also have to be ready to intervene, just like you would with academics. You don't just throw them a bunch of books and say, go ahead and read it, or you know, you know, we and teach them how to read. So you can figure it out. Yeah, if it doesn't go well, if it doesn't go well, then you have to then you have to put interventions in place, right? Right. And CPS, I mean, doesn't doesn't mean that you don't have expectations and you don't have classroom exactly. management and you do what you've always what's you know best practice. I think that, mm-hmm. but I don't. It takes a lot of conversation. You know, I think even it's not just at the beginning stages that you have to keep going back to that and talking to the staff and those honest conversations are so important because you find things out that you just didn't realize was the perception um, that could be so dangerous if you don't talk about it. Two things came came to me while you were speaking there, Tom, and one was that basically what, what I hear you talking about is a response to intervention model where mm-hmm. you're looking at those top 10% of students that require a more intensive um, intervention, and that's where you're finding the work with collaborative problem solving to be most needed and and appropriate. And it may be appropriate at other levels too. But um, what what I also heard you saying was that, you know, you've got some students who exhibit the ability to use the skill most of the time, but every once in a while they fall down. And exactly. So it may be that for those students, um, you know, it's just a quick reteaching, and it's not mm-hmm. the entire, you know, going into assessing the skills because they normally exhibit that skill. There was just something a little different about today's situation. Like when taking it, you know, making an academic comparison. You've got students that are reading, you know, regularly at grade level and comprehending, and then they get an article to read, say, a nonfiction article about ice fishing, and they live in Southern California, and they just don't have a context, and they struggle with it. But most of the time, they get it. They just need a little bit of context, or they need a little bit of reteaching, and boom, they've got it again. Yeah, I would agree. And you want to hear you speak, Tom, too. I just, I know that for all the kids that you're working with, you're lean, you're you know, not I don't know how leaning towards that 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 lens of um, of problem solving, and also not it's not reward and punishment for those kids that just fall down the one time. It's the the quick redirection and the quick move on. They don't need the deeper um, you know the deeper model, but it doesn't mean that your you know, it sounds like your whole school has that culture of of um, collaborative problem solving and working together to find out what's really going on. And sometimes I've heard you talk about doing whole group recess problem-solving oh, yeah. sessions. Um, so that's a difference, I think, of, of you know the culture of the school where you really do implement the model. That it's. I would agree. And to take Nina's point one step further, I think it is really important about RTI to think of. I think of it as tier one is, hey, I noticed that you were having some trouble today with reading, talking to your partner. What's up with that? Yes. Just having a conversation using the model with the child about whatever's going on. Or I noticed that lining up was a challenge today. Mm-hmm. Tier two is I might be meeting with the kids, you know, a couple times for six weeks, and they get better. Tier three is I've been meeting, talking to parents, working with people. I'm putting them into our problem-solving team for the school, which is our version of the student assistance team. Um, we're developing explicit plans. I'm using the ALSUP. I'm working with a variety of people. The guidance counselor is doing CPS with the child as well. And, and we're really starting to move toward, you know, a tier three intervention, which is what Nina was saying is the top 10%. I think that I just want to make sure that the listeners out there understand that I believe that the model works at all levels. Yes. But I think that the intensity, frequency, and duration changes as you move up the three tiers of RTI. I think that's exactly that's exactly what I was trying to say. But you said it so perfectly. (laughs) Well, on that note, I have to go to an appointment, guys. I hope you have a wonderful month. 
I'm sorry. Take care. Gonna... All right, Thank take care. Tom. Bye, Ross. Bye. So it sounds like we are in agreement that whether it's a student who's having chronic difficulties or a student who is a one-timer, we want to do we want to gather information to find out what's going on irrespective of the chronicity of the problem am i hearing you all correctly yes yes yep absolutely so now i'm confused and tom left the call so i can't ask him if it's a one timer Why would we punish? I don't think that you would. I think that, but I like what you said about consequences. That it, and that's what I've been, we've been trying to talk about, um, you know, as a staff too. That to me, it's still you can think of it as a consequence of, of sitting and talking and you know a quick redirect or a quick trying to dig for information. But you wouldn't go to you wouldn't go you know, on the route of getting out the, you know, a rubric for, well, you did this, then you have to have this. It's always looking for information, individualized. It's sometimes it's just more intense than, you know, the majority of the conversations that you have. Okay. So I don't think you would ever need to go to punishment. I, I mean, that's just my... See, I and I never go to, and, you know, I've, I've got this solving problems collaboratively thing pretty bad, but I... Um, always want to know what's getting in the kid's way. And, you know, uh, in in answer to the um, emailer, I guess my take on it is, um, Nina, as you were saying before you got disconnected, if a kid yeah. says the next time someone bugs me, I'm just going to hit them because I know nothing's going to happen to me, um, I'm drilling for information. Right. So tell me more about hitting them, and tell me more about thinking that nothing's going to happen to you. What what is what do you mean by that? Right. Because I know that when you're solving problems collaboratively, you are trying to help them find a different response than hitting, and they aren't going to come out of that conversation feeling like nothing's going to happen and that they can just keep doing it. It's just that what's happening to them isn't what they may be accustomed to having happen to them. Actually, when you're solving problems collaboratively, even if that's not something that they're accustomed to having happen to them, it's likely to be a lot more um, productive and a lot more durable. So I'm not sure that... that And I'm sure that when you're solving problems collaboratively, the message to the kid isn't, I hit someone, and then the teachers talk to me about it, and then I can go do it again, and then it goes on like that forever. I keep hitting, and the teachers will keep talking. I think that that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about solving problems collaboratively. Um, My bet is that you both agree. Well, I do agree. And you know what what struck me, Ross, is it's really important for, you know, we we spend a lot of time on the um, drilling step and finding out, you know, what's going on for the student and what's what's at the root of the problem. 
But I think where this is, um, where the part where we can really speak to that with students when we're doing, um, when we're, prob we're solving the problems with them, is by really making sure that our concern is out there on the table. Because, you know, we're not just going to repeat like your, your letter writer wrote, you know, telling them it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. We have to tell them why it's a concern for us and really make yes. sure that they understand what our concern is, that it's not just about I have rules and you're breaking them, but mm -hmm. it's about, you know, you're a human being who deserves to be safe and this other student is a human being who deserves to be safe and they have the right to do that and we can't let anybody get hurt here. And, you know, it. I think when you do that, it's, that's when the students really understand that you do you do take these problems seriously, that you aren't just letting it happen. But, you know, realistically, just like in the big world out there, right, there's laws and things that aren't allowed to happen and people sometimes do them anyway. So, I mean, there's there's it's it's I don't think it's that hard to, to teach kids, you know, this is one way for us to be solving the problem and the other language we have to change is instead of saying we're you know, nothing's happening to you because we're not doing things to kids, we're doing it with them. So you're saying we're, we're solving this problem. And I just read an article just on a slightly, on a tangent, ever so slightly, just read an article about oppositional defiance disorder. And uh, one of the key processes that is proven to be effective is to, you know, have the students be involved in solving the problems. Mm -hmm. So I had a, you know, I had a big, oh, I feel good about that, <laughs> about that part because those are some of the kids with whom you feel like it's just not working the most sometimes because they don't seem to be able to participate in the process as well, but it just shows that they just don't even have the skills to, to go through that. So you're teaching them right from the ground up on how to solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. Or for my tangent. Yeah, I guess I think that adults way overuse the term unacceptable. <laughs> and as you were saying... Or they way overuse the term inappropriate. Yes. And it, and as you were saying, if we aren't specific with the kid about what our real concern is, our concern is not that it's unacceptable. You can say that. I think kids habituate to hearing that their behavior is unacceptable. I just think that they hear that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But what they never hear and never get a chance to take into account is um, what it is that is causing us concern. Um, so, for example, I was listening to a story this morning about a kid who was uh, drawing some violent images, and the adult concern was that it wasn't safe. And my or feedback was, yeah, but we got to go a lot further than that because this kid actually the kid who we were talking about actually isn't very good at appreciating how his behavior is affecting other people in the first place. How do we start working on with that kid, not by being vague about what our concern is, but by being very specific about how that concern makes other people feel and actually giving the kid practice at taking that information into account so that they can start doing it independently. Yeah, Anyways. the process itself is part of the, is part of the learning. True. Uh, I'm, I was just kind of curious as you, you, you both were talking. I guess this does happen. Um, I suppose there are times when if a kid who normally does well on a particular type of academic task doesn't do well on a one-timer on that type of academic task, 
I suppose there are times when people look at the kid and say, I know you can do this, so just try harder the next time. The same as we sometimes do with behavior. Of course, we'd never give the kid a detention for doing poorly on an assignment on a one-time basis. Um, And plus, why would we ever want to skip past trying to find out what got in the way on that one time? Right. Right. I think you always would ask what's going on. And you might find you you would find out they were tired or they didn't like this or something. You would find there there's a reason. So even with that, you would ask. Very interesting. I I personally think that if you are solving problems collaboratively at tier one of RTI, you're not doing a whole lot of it at tier three because there's not a whole lot of kids who get that far. True. What else should we cover today? We have about five minutes left. Anything <laughs> anything hot on you guys' minds? I hate to let the educators' panel end prematurely without us covering what's going on in your buildings or anything that you guys want to make sure we cover before we are done for the month. We only have two educators' panels left for the year, April and May, because we end over the summer. Anything else that uh, you both have on your minds today? I think the answer is no. (laughs) Well, I can share a quick little story that a good, um, you have a student that was having some, having some trouble and I definitely could feel myself going, going about it the wrong way, but to be able to stop that and when, during a plan B conversation, realizing that uh, he was feeling like when he was, you know, appearing to be confrontational with adults that um, he said it he felt like he was standing up for himself and that he feels like when he stands up for himself that it's a good feeling and he's proud of himself for standing up for himself so he doesn't want to let adults you know get in his way because he wants to stand up to him for himself so it was such a different it was just an aha moment for me because it made so much sense of his behavior and um, all those interactions that we've been having that uh, it gives me a different lens now and a different sort of way of approaching how to solve that problem because instead of just thinking, oh, just, you know, trying not following any rules, it's really about, um, that, and, and almost we thought that he was feeling good because he was breaking, you know, just being oppositional, but instead it's that, it's just that little difference makes, it changes how we'll approach the problem. So that's how I ended it my It changes day. your perception. Yeah, absolutely. Because what a what a healthier way kind of to go about it, and like, wow, well, that it makes so much sense that uh, he he really felt like he he likes to stand up for himself, and he's proud of it, and it's that proud kind of demeanor that we've been seeing that, as opposed mm. to the um, you know kind of this gleeful <laughs> feeling that right. makes, that that can t- really rub people the wrong way. So um, I thought mm. that was really kind of an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's common for me to hear that. Uh, adults glomming on to the fact that the kid was smiling oh, as yeah. he was doing something <laughs> that he didn't want him to be doing. And, and yep. that is used as evidence of what sheer pleasure the kid is getting, secondary gain the kid is getting out of um, doing something that we don't want him to be doing. And I'm always saying to people, you know, the smile doesn't always tell the tale. There's, there's got to be 37 different smiles there's the smile of saving face. There's the smile of anxiety. 
there's the smile of being uncomfortable, but what's fascinating is we adults always think that the smile suggests that the kid is getting his jollies this way. Right. And in control. <laughs> right. Able to control it. Right. Carol, any last-second tidbits before we sign off for today? No, but I'm just always, uh, it always gives me such a good re-energizer in the work that we're doing. So I appreciate each and every time we get a chance to talk like this. Good. And here's what's cool. As our emailer from Sweden tells us, um, it's not just us who are getting a charge out of this program. It's the thousands of people who listen to it every week. So as always, I appreciate both of you and Tom doing this and taking time out of your busy days to um, Tell us what you're thinking and what's going on in your buildings, and um, I guess we'll call it a day for today. Talk to you both next week, dur- next month, during the next educators panel. Yes. Yeah. And is that uh, is that April? I believe that's April Fool's Second. Day, if I'm not mistaken. April Fool's Day. Okay. So we'll have a special f- April Fool's Day edition of the <laughs> educators panel. We'll I'll, talk I'll try about to the punishments we gave out that month. We'll, <laughs> we'll do an, an entire program on what a wonderful thing punishment is. How's that? Yes, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's going to do it for today for the Educators Panel. Thanks for listening in. We'll be back next week, I think, with any town Elementary. We'll find out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.